This is the Roaring Elven podcast for the 5th of May, and I'm joined here by my my, my hope-exuding co-host, my gentle partner into this uh, out-of-the-dark dawn of last episode, Dave. Hello, and it is, it is the dawn, the hopeful dawn, or is it all false hope? Mm. Oh dear, anyway, so episode 189, we we were really talking about everything that was dead. Apparently, cybersecurity was dead, open source was dead, startups were dead, even tech innovation was dead. Um, and yeah, I think boredom might have also been dead. But now we're talking about all of the things that are, they're not dead, they're actually the future. They will make everything bright and young and perfect. Yeah, only some of those things that are the future may have already been pronounced dead. So we're left in this kind of strange, awkward situation where we're not quite sure if these things are the future or if they're dead. Um, we're not talking about the resurrection, about right? <laughs> oh God, no! <laughs> um, but let's let's talk about them anyway, and let's see let's see where we land on this because I think we on some of these things I think we agree somewhat, but on some of them I don't think we do. So, but we always agree to disagree. Uh, uh, no, I think we agree to <laughs> violently disagree and throw oh, no, things no, no. at each other. Oh, is that why we do this uh, across the the North Sea that we have real distance between us and we don't can't actually physically hit each other? Ooh, exactly. I never, I never exactly. thought of it like that. <laughs> there you go. Anyway, so tell us, tell us what the future is, Jon. Tell us what the future has in in store for us. Well, contrary to what we pronounced dead uh, a couple of episodes ago, uh, open source is the future. It's not dead at all. It's what's going to save us all. It's going to be the future. And oh, thank God for that. And I think I agree with that one. Mm-hmm. I think it's inevitable. I'm with you. I'm okay. with you. Next one. <laughs> <laughs> So it's going to be a short episode. Why? Why do? Why? Why are we so positive about open source? Without like rehashing, we've had like some of the power of open source kind of conversations before. But why are we both so positive that open source is the future? I think basically because it just works, and it's been proven to just work um, because the it's been adopted across the board. Now, I mean, most innovation is happening in open source, uh, or at least open source minded environments. Uh, our second part will also go deeper into that one. But it's just there, it's just happening, it's working. And what uh, is also making hopeful is the fact that it's changing, that it's not staying the same uh, mm-hmm. as it was invented before, because everything good has iterations. Um, we've talked about agility and things like that, but it's a fact. You, you can't make something perfect the first time out. I mean, that's why I have an older brother. Basically, that's how it works. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about that, brother. Uh, but yeah, that's for me. It, it evolves, it creates innovation, it's working, and all of the negativism that was there once has pretty much evaporated. I mean, and I, I remember still the in the olden days when I was like a couple of years younger, uh, we had to kind of defend open source as being trustworthy and solid, yeah. and it wasn't some hippie culture thing. And I would say in record time, because these are... I think big shifts in how technology works and is perceived, yep. that has totally evaporated and flipped over to no, 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 it needs to be reliable, so it has to go open source, because all the closed source stuff becomes a little bit suspicious, doesn't it? And yeah, for me, that's very hopeful. Yeah, no, I agree. I think the 
the elements of enterprise adoption and enterprise understanding are you know have reached the point where there is no there is no turning back there i also think this the the wider spread adoption of open source it is just um uh, it's it, it's so i mean the the, the microsoft comment about uh, open source being a, a cancer a, yeah, it, it's certainly spreading like wildfire. It's it's certainly spreading like a <laughs> like a virus, some might say, but in a very positive way. I think everywhere, um, open source went viral. The, the, everywhere that you are tracking um, or able to track things like GitHub projects or uh, the deployment of a you know, variety of different open source um, solutions or services. Like they they are being adopted, you know, anywhere and everywhere. Um, that there is just there is no stopping. There's no putting this particular genie back in the bottle. And I think it, the fact that you've got this this yin and yang of huge widespread adoption and acceleration, and now enterprises more comfortable with it. You've got organizations stepping up supporting open source um, and providing those enterprises a me- mechanism for you know the, the longer term um, you know, internal usage of it I think or external usage of it but I think those these things together just mean yeah open source is very much here to stay very much the future and that doesn't mean that uh, that nothing important or interesting will ever happen in the world of uh, all things proprietary but i think it's also safe to say that anything that you know may start in a proprietary fashion will very quickly uh be replicated and uh, and arrive in in some form of open source way in some way shape or form yeah even if it doesn't i, I think i can say that even closed source development has been infused with the ideas of open source the whole idea of uh, open source kind of by necessity had to be it was a distributed environment so you had to look at integrating stuff at reusing stuff at not trying to be the evil dictator there is the benevolent dictatorship of uh, linus on on, on on the linux kernel so there's still some form of that but even that kind of yeah it's called benign dictatorship because it's still open to suggestions to collaboration and even if innovation would come from closed source things they kind of have to adopt some degree of integrability, uh, communication, uh, being nice to the ecosystem, or else they're just bumping up against the wall of people saying, it needs to integrate with a lot of other stuff I have here. Why aren't you doing that? So even closed source, even if it's totally no shared code, uh, license-based, whatever, evil empire, call it what you want to call it, (laughs) it'll... And I've seen this already happening. They are forced to do this. And just look at things like uh, network switches, um, the, the, the the more expensive ones. In the olden days, yeah, there was no way you could get to the, uh, the the metrics or logging of that. That was all closed. That was, no, no, we'll do this for you. You don't have to care about that. Today, in most uh, tenders that I have to uh, look at, there is uh, a stipulation in there that whatever you're offering needs to integrate with open source, blah, 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 whatever you want to call it at that point. Yeah. And even if it's closed source, it's still at least a little bit open source minded. Yeah. No, I think it's a good point. Good point. So. Yeah, let's move on to the next one. All right. So. Didn't have a good segue there, sorry. <laughs> no, well, I mean, we, the segue, I think, is that uh, moving from open source to open source AI, and not just open source AI, but all things 
AI, machine learning, advanced analytics. Uh, I do think that these things are all the future. I think it is unavoidable that more of what we do, whether it's Yon's chatbots or um, <laughs> they're not my chatbots. Don't, don't yeah, blame me. They're, they're all they're all your chatbots. <laughs> you are the you are to blame for all of these pop ups that come up on these websites. About hey, I'm Jess. I would like to help you. My army uh, will it's cover all the your world. fault. Exactly. So I do think all of these things are inevitable, but I also think that there is still a long, long way to go. Um, where we're still seeing a significant amount of AI machine learning washing of stuff that is really not AI or ML. There's still a huge amount of, um, not uncertainty, but um, there's a lack of clarity on what, whether something is artificially intelligent whether something has machine learning or has just got you know a bunch of statistical functions and that it just executes now you could argue that both of those things are actually identical but again that's another that's another bone of contention or point of discussion depending on your perspective yeah it reminds me of a time about a year two years ago i had a colleague we had a full discussion about is ml part of ai or is ai part of ml because mm-hmm. the whole definition isn't set. People talk about this stuff as if it's something concrete, but there are more ideas than anything else, and that doesn't make things easier, obviously. Now, it is a fact that most of the innovation, I was just mentioned in the first uh, point in the episode, is coming from open source things. I mean, sure, there are big companies behind it, but there are big companies that are pretty much open source-minded. I'm not sure if I can say that about Google these days anymore, but at least at the beginnings, or at least in the open source, in the um, uh, neural networking, TensorFlow, stuff like that, they definitely do the whole collaboration, open standards and things like that to make this a better uh, product in the end, I guess. Um, so it's definitely, if you look at what's happening with uh, PySpark, with uh, the, the, all of the other products, projects, whatever, in, uh, in machine learning, and stuff, it's the open source ones that actually work, and I think that was also inevitable because there's not really that many people that actually know how this really deep stuff, the real neural network stuff, actually. I was going to say works, but I'm going to say it's supposed to work. Because <laughs> it's still an open question if it actually works or not. And yeah, by having a spread out pool of talent, you have to go distribute it. You have to go, yeah, that open source open source mindset. And I do think that the whole AI and machine learning thing is a product of what uh, yeah the open source future has given us. Mm. So, <laughs> so one of the one of the, I mean when we were talk, when we were looking for some of these articles, we we each kind of went scurrying around the intertubes for things that were the future. And uh, one of the articles that we had here was around voice technology, and we had a. Even before we started recording, we had a kind of interesting discussion here. And I I do think that for certain things, uh, voice tech is the future. I do think that it makes sense for uh, a lot of like relatively short commands that are, that are just useful things that you will want to say to your digital assistant wherever and however it exists, whether it's on your phone, 
on a device that's always listening in your room, embedded in your brain, uh, you know, however that uh, however that exists. I do think there is a place for voice tech. Um, but I also think that for you know, longer, larger, more complicated... Uh, the, the the longer that command gets, or the longer that input gets, the less and less useful voice tech is for me. And and maybe that's a maybe that's a point of the the state that voice tech is it is in. I remember you know things like Dragon Dictate in the late <laughs> late eighties, early nineties, and yep. and uh, oh, there were a whole variety of of tech back then, and you know, it was running on like really really crappy hardware compared to the the sort of um compute and processing power that we have today but i'm not sure that really we've seen we've seen the sort of same many many order of magnitudes improvement in voice recognition compared to the amount of compute or processing power that we have so i still think that a lot of the the commands that we issue or the, the 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 questions that we ask things or whatever i think still think those remain relatively simple and i think for you know, a lot of what we do on our day day-to-day you know lives will still be you know with um keyboard and mice and those kinds of inputs for for a lot of stuff i would say i disagree with you 99 percent uh, the one percent i agree with you is that voice <laughs> is perfect for one short command shut up apart from that <laughs> uh, for me it's magic in the same realm as quantum mechanics quantum computing uh, real artificial intelligence cognitive artificial intelligence it's just to make that stuff work for more than shut up you need to be able to have an automatically automatically context created around the command you're giving so that whatever the receiving object is it knows that one it was directed at, at that object and not the 20 other ones i have in my house i don't have them in my house by the way uh it needs to know the the the, the, the kind of mood you're in when you're giving the command play some mellow music what the hell does that mean but that's what people expect because they all watched star trek when they were young and they had the, the captain uh kirk and picard and all the other ones talking to the computer and the computer was and I say the computer with, with capitals, of course, obviously, uh, is so smart that it can derive context from even the shortest things. And that just doesn't work. If you look at the state of natural language processing today, if you just look at some of our co- uh, colleague podcasters out there, they, they kind of publish their blog posts with a uh, speech-to-text the script. It's hilarious. Yeah. It's. Uh, I mean, that it's it's terrible. But that that's what I mean about like anything that is a long stream of input. Like, it's just not. Exactly. It's not usable yet. And voice is a very very laborious process of communication. That's why we invented the written word. That's why the Gutenberg press was so important. <laughs> we were able to transfer knowledge, information in a much more concise, direct, and clear fashion. A voice sucks i don't like voice <laughs> commands at all i will <laughs> never get that stuff in my house because i don't think it in it it's flawed it the concept of voice commands is flawed i don't want to be in an office 
where, I mean, today already in the open office plans, everybody's talking on the phone, doing their business dealing, whatever. That's annoying. I can put on my noise cancelling headphone. If they all now start talking to the computers as well to dictate their, <laughs> come on, <laughs> give me a break. I, I can't, I have to interrupt you here because I cannot <laughs> let this, uh, I cannot let this slide. You talking about the, the terrible nature of all things voice and the fact that text is king. And you're literally recording a podcast right now, which is all voice. Oh, my word. How can I literally anyway. be doing a podcast if it's all voice? Then it can't be literal, right? It has to be vocal. Oh. Someone, someone somewhere, please end this, um. man. Anyway, so... I love that. I, like I don't that. think we're ever going to... We're never going to agree on, on this particular to. topic. And, and again, I'd be happy and we to be don't proven have wrong. To. Maybe we'll have a breakthrough. Uh, and again, if you do get that all-knowing AI, <laughs> maybe it'll work. But I don't... We're definitely not there today. And it's going to take a long time before it actually becomes something useful. And actually, I just want to go one more thing on this one. By coincidence... Okay. This is a funny one. By coincidence, I, I, I watched some reruns of Top Gear. Don't ask mm -hmm. me why. It just happened. And on numerous of... Uh, there's something on YouTube where they have all of the news parts cut together and the amount of times they were actually complaining about the quality of voice commands in the car was every other episode I think when they were talking as long as it was just me being able to tell my sat nav to do to go to a certain place that was fine but now I've got my sat nav listening my phone listening my onboard computer from the car listening and when I say something they get confused they don't know which one's taking it up and that's a prime example of the thing I'm talking about it's just not there if you haven't seen those yet, go on YouTube, look for... Uh, um, Top Gear? Uh, yeah, thanks. Sorry, brain fart. <laughs> <laughs> go on the YouTube, look for Top Gear compilation stuff, and you'll find them. They're, they're, they're still hilarious. I, I do like the show, even though I'm not a car buff at all. Uh, but that came up quite a lot. So if Top Gear tells says so, I have to be right. Next. No. <laughs> Just no on so many levels. We have such different experiences with 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 voice recognition. Obviously, mm -hmm. for you know, for That's navigation in the car, you know the the whole the whole point of things like uh, Google Assistant requiring you to say "Hey Google" or "Okay Google." And that's probably triggered a whole exactly. bunch of... Exactly, never do all that. Over the place. I'll try to remember to bleep um, that out. <laughs> over the... Uh, over everybody. But in a car, that, I find, now works really, really well, as long as it's integrated into the car. Like, third-party systems, yeah, I agree. The, the, the microphones won't be in the right place. The audio is terrible. And a car is an awful, awful place to try and... Um, to try and get decent audio from anyway. Like, I completely accept that. But my experiences with uh, voice recognition and uh, voice-driven navigation are actually surprisingly good. And I say surprisingly because even I don't expect them to be that good, and yet I've had very, very good um, experiences with it. That being said, any time that you're... Um, you know, you you have a poor data connection. Yeah, expect that experience to completely disappear down the toilet, and for you to spend fifteen minutes shouting at your car in order to try and navigate somewhere where you could just uh, poke a screen and away you go. But I similarly have very good experiences with um, with home automation and voice recognition. You know, a lot of my stuff is driven through Google Assistant, uh, and whether it's switching on lights. 
um, opening garage doors. Um, what else do we do? Turning on um, water systems for topping up ponds. You know, playing music. Like all of those things work incredibly well. And I, yeah, I agree. It, they're short commands. They're short interactions, uh, and those I think do work well. I'm wondering if but there's yeah, a, a we're la- we're not going to agree on a language that. barrier there. <laughs> I mean, you're uh, you're a British person, so you're a native English speaker. I believe so. Um, yeah, well, everybody's in doubt, but uh, let's just assume you are. <laughs> but most of the uh, voice recognition stuff, most of the AI stuff, is based on the English language because, uh, yeah, believe it or not, the English is the langa franca, which is uh, funny enough Latin, <laughs> of technology. Um, and a lot of the stuff is based on English first and then piecemeal goes to the other languages like Spanish, French, German, and me in poor Dutch-speaking uh, part of the world. We have to wait a long time for it actually to arrive in our own native speech. Mm. So we're all trying to talk uh, pretty garbage English. I mean, I do have an accent, I, I admit. Uh, I'm not a native English speaker. And maybe that's causing issues? I don't know. never thought about that. Maybe. Because this one, when you said, for me, and I was thinking, yeah, but you're in England. Hang on, maybe that's something. I don't know. Yeah. So. It wouldn't. It wouldn't surprise me. It would not surprise me. And I, there is definitely something in that because I do remember early iterations of even the. Um, uh, I'm I'm very much a person in the Android camp of things, mm-hmm. so therefore the Google camp of things when it comes to this. Certainly, early iterations of um, Google's voice recognition worked much better if you were talking to them in some kind of ham-fisted American accent. Now, yeah. now they work very well in, a, you know, for me at least, and kind of, I don't find the need to adjust my accent at all. I just yeah. talk normally, and it and it works fine. So, I think there is a degree of that of that in there, but I still do think, like, regardless of how clear or how well you are enunciating your words <laughs> there are still a lot of things that are that just voice recognition is not good for anything anything long anything complicated we use so many different words that are yeah but also things that are specific to i mean if i think about my work and the, the kinds of words that come up when i'm talking about the things that i work yeah, with yeah. it's going to be yeah, it's completely different to somebody who's maybe in the medical yeah. profession yeah, yeah, yeah. or a teacher or like it's just worlds apart whereas that core set of of commands that are relatively easy to understand and relatively common across you know those core sets of use cases those make sense but the wider voice and AI I I think that's that's got a long long way to go and for me that is why all of those like Dragon dictate and <laughs> like voice voice recognition slash dictation things. Just like they were always amusing. I always liked the idea of them. I always like I did dabble with them now and again, and I have dabbled with them now and again through the years. And I always spend more time correcting and futzing around and going well. What did it even record here? Like I don't even know what this sentence could possibly mean. And and kind of going over that sort of stuff. So I I do think that all of that stuff is still very broken. Still needs a lot of work, um, and uh, there's 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 a, a long distance to go. But I think I think voice recognition is the future for certain use cases. So combining our two points of view, we both agree that for short commands like shut up, it works very well, and not much else. <laughs> 
going on? <laughs> oh, God. Anyway, yes. Privacy. Uh, so this is this is a bit of a let, let's face it this is a get out clause slash cheat slash no it isn't um, it, it absolutely <laughs> is it's not clever at all so episode one eighty nine we talked about the fact that uh, that privacy is dead and now here we are talking about all the things that are the future. And we're, yes, we're talking about no privacy being the future. <laughs> oh, really? Really? Yeah, apparently. I mean, when, we did, when I went looking for inspiration <laughs> on this thing, I went on the internet, I went on the, on the web searches, and I asked for privacy is the future. And what came out is no privacy is no the future. No privacy is the future. I, I, I do agree. I mean, like, I agree with it. And we talked about it in, as I say, in the previous episode. I do think this is the case. I do think that, for the most part, your privacy is an illusion. And whether it's a thinly veiled illusion or a somewhat more heavy-duty illusion is entirely up to how much you know about this and how much you read into it and how much you then extrapolate from there as to what might actually be happening behind the scenes uh, and i that's not to say that we should not strive for stronger privacy laws and you know hold people uh, accountable when they when they break those laws that's that's mm-hmm. not what i'm saying i'm just saying that even within the realms of what is currently permitted there's there's still so much scope for um you know really just blowing away what your con what your probably what most people's concepts of privacy is yeah. um no longer really exists. Yeah, that that was also the thing that I was thinking about, and it's a bit uh, like we were talking earlier about open source having changed across uh, the, 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 the the several decades that has been uh, yeah alive and well. <laughs> the concept of privacy uh, or privacy, as you say, also has changed quite dramatically over time because people are much more willing to give up their privacy because they are vlogging, blogging, podcasting, uh, doing things in the social eye, and that invariably means a invasion of your privacy because you have to tell something about yourself if you want people to listen. And that's different from, I don't know, 20, 30, 50 years ago where privacy was something sacred and you were almost secretive about your, your own environments and don't let the neighbors know, things like that. And there's still a part, a part of that avail, uh, <laughs> alive and well today too. Mm. But people, and I'm talking about people as the um, now, ecological and economical force on the world have changed around how they look at privacy. And I, I'm not going to say we don't value it anymore, but we value it differently. And we're kind of looking at it as something that has value in a way that we can do something with that value. We can sell that value. We can monetize that value. We can make something more of that value, increase the value of that, uh, of that privacy by giving little pieces of it up. I'm not sure if I'm making sense so, here. You, no, no, you are, you are. Uh, well, kind of. Um, but <laughs> not more than usual. I, 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 I realised I'd given you too much credit there. Uh, no, but w- one of the things that we've said a number of times through through the, the time that we've been recording this is if you're consuming a service and, you know, from a commercial organisation and there's no charge for that service... You know, you are likely the product. It's not the service that you're consuming. And whether that's Google, 
or you know, Google and, and Gmail or something like that, um, the you are the the service that is being monetized. Your your profile data is being mined and anonymized and is is being used to build up models as to you know how you as a potential consumer of Oh, I don't know paddling pools or something like that. What's your proclivity to to purchase a paddling pool? Um, and uh, well, it's it's definitely people within you know this age bracket and uh, you know this percentage of males and this percentage of females and in these locations and you know, all of these things. Like just by you using these services, whether it's you know, almost any. You know, service provider that offers these services is driven by some kind of you know, data mining, for want of a better phrase, going on in the background. Yeah, but, but that's the passive uh, way of looking at it. Uh, the way that you get taken advantage of, let's make it a little bit uh, more dramatic. I think we we're actually getting past that and we are no longer we're aware of that happening and we're seeing as a person the value of that data mining of that whatever it is and we're trying to monetize that and if you look that there's a couple of business models that we have sprung up where people are actually giving you money if you will put this app on your phone so they can track you whatever whatever they want to track you on so we've gone the next mm. step there where it's no longer something that they can do on the slide because we've come more mature, more sophisticated on the concept of this privacy thing and that it actually does have value, monetary, monetary value otherwise, and we want to capitalize on it. So sure, I will give you some some of my data, some of my stuff, but I want something in return. You have to give me something and then I will give you that too. So we're seeing it as a mm. commodity that can be bartered with more than something that needs to be locked up in a safe and never be shown to the world. And I see it as a, as a next step and a positive next step because Privacy is dead. I mean, <laughs> I think we both agree on that one. It's never going to be yeah. back the way it was in the olden days. I'm saying olden days too often here. I must be getting old. Uh, but we do look at it in a different view, and we're making something positive out of it. And I guess that's hopeful. Ish. Maybe. I think so. Probably. <laughs> but you can't have good privacy hope without good security. Aha. See what I did there? Ah, oh, so seamless. <laughs> So, yes, unsurprisingly, um, and again, you know, last, uh, not last episode, but the last episode we were talking about the, the flip side of this equation. We were talking about, uh, in fact, the, the privacy in, it was dead and cybersecurity is dead were kind of inexorably linked. And what we're talking about now is the fact that actually there are a variety of things within security, cybersecurity, uh, that probably are the future um, and the future is probably going to be uh, you know a bit a bit more painful as people really decide that more more security more layers of security um, more ways of trying to ensure the security of data uh, are put in place a lot of these kind of various disparate things that we think of within the security realm are going to be aligned, converged, um, combined in some way, shape, or form. Um, you know, the the two articles that we sort of independently came across one was 
One was around the, the fact of converged security and security on multiple layers, and the other one was around uh, biometric security being the future. And I, we, you know, we've seen biometric security in you know being very widespread on you know, things like phones. It's become the de facto method of um, of you know, authentication on you know, the majority of mobile devices. Uh, over a relatively short period of time, you know the the pin and the uh, the pattern were the default for a very very long time uh, on you know, modern quote unquote modern uh, phone platforms. But biometrics seem to have swept a lot of that away in a relatively short period of time in in sort of the the overall adoption cycles. Uh, yeah, definitely. I mean, biometrics, it's its its ease of use, right? I mean, the fingerprint sensor mm. beneath the screen that needs to be millisecond and lock time. It's, it's a, my mobile phone is an extension. It's my, it's my, my 11th finger. It needs to be just <laughs> as responsive as my other 10 fingers. And having to draw a complicated pattern of seven points or typing a four-digit passcode, that's way too much time. That's uh, And I, I agree with that, actually, because it's not... For a PC, I don't mind logging in in the morning, typing my password, and then using the PC for the rest of the day. Your phone, on the other hand, I, I've never done it, I've never counted it, but I couldn't be surprised if we did that passcode, that's uh, that little pattern, a hundred times a day. And at that yeah. point, it's something that, as a good sysadmin, DevOps person, automate it away, please, that's how you're supposed to do it. And biometrics is, of course, the easiest way of doing that because you typically... You just have to be there. You don't have to do much of anything. You have to be in the right place behind that, uh, in front of that camera lens or putting a finger on the right spot on your screen, things like that. The thing is that that, that was the article that I found, the converged one. Um, it's going to be more and more difficult to m- keep those things secure because at the moment, and that's been valid since, well, I think forever, there is more money being expended on breaking security contraptions than on anything else. The whole race for um, quantum computing supremacy is driven by one thing, breaking the other guy's codes. I mean, even this stuff is going to be broken at some point and is already getting broken at some point. We've seen a lot of iterations happening on the biometrics field as well. And in my view, yep, the future security is going to be complicated. We were going to two-factor authentication, but that's not going to be enough anymore. We're going to have to go to to realms of securing, of doing things that are totally different, having a face and having, I don't know, your mother call in to, to, t- to tell the person <laughs> that, yes, you are who you are. Little Johnny can't go to school today. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, it, 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 as we go from... I mean, there's always been an arms race when it comes to all things security. You know, like the first iterations of um, of fingerprint security could be defeated by, you know, gelatin, like basically gummy bears, um, and and sort of things. You know, as everything evolves, a method of defeating it also evolves. That's just the that's the the world we live in and the, the way things work. What we what we're not really seeing, or what I haven't really seen yet, is a, a a significant shift necessarily in the way that all of these things are working together. And I think that 
that probably is the future. I don't know what that shift would be, but you know, we're, we're seeing the technology improve, but we're not really seeing the way that it's implemented improve. I'm not sure whether I'm making any sense or not, but... I think it is improving a little bit because more and more services are finally enforcing two-factor authentication things. Um, yeah, so it is improving, but it's still, but it's all tech. But it's still that, yeah. But it's still that, you know. It is still two-factor authentication. With okay, maybe at one point, one time it used to be you'd have to do a password and you'd plug in a key. Now it's a maybe a, a, a key and a fingerprint, or a key and a you know retina scan, or a key and you lick this dongle on your phone, <laughs> or <laughs> who like who knows, but. It doesn't. It doesn't feel to me like the the fundamentals of what are happening after you know you've provided these two or three or who knows five different methods of authentication to authenticate for something. Like it's that that next step of okay, you've satisfied these one, two, three, five different things that we now believe that you you are you. But what happens after that, I think, is where the problems still lie. I don't think the back end of things is still has enough layers of security. Just because usually, like, I would expect more things to go wrong behind the scenes than from being broken in from the front. I don't. I don't know that I'm making myself particularly clear, um, but I. I just. I do think that this is a, an area where everything needs to evolve in lockstep. And it, to me, it feels like the front end of things, for want of a better phrase, is evolving relatively mm-hmm. relatively well. But what happens behind the scenes has stayed relatively static. Yeah, I'm not entirely sure either that uh, the things that it has developed into are all good. Because there's this thing called single sign-on. And mm-hmm. it's definitely a step in the direction of ease of use, and I do it once, and then it will take care of it. And that's where you get into that the, the back end of things, where all of this handshaking and passing on of tokens needs to happen. Yeah, I, I mean, yeah, it's 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 useful as as, as all heck. I mean, it's I, I like it. My whole uh, business uh, life is handled by single sign on. I sign on once, and it all happens behind the scenes. It's mm-hmm. practical. It's useful, but. I can't wonder about is it really still security at that point because I did I gave my credentials to one application organization whatever it is service and now they're authenticating for me how do I know as you said that, that back end takes well good care of that basically I I think that is a yeah I think that's that's the kind of thing that I was trying to say, only put better. <laughs> uh, we tried. Yeah. As I said, iteration. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think I think single sign on platforms are an example of that. Yeah. And but I think there's I think there is more to it than that. But yeah, I I do believe that the future of security is converged. I do think the security the, the future of security is more integration. Uh, is you know, more levels of security that we're, we're going to see coming through. I think all of those things are definitely you know, inevitable at this point. And of course, perfect security is utopia. It's never going to happen. And mm-hmm. that's also that's valid for IT, for tech, for everything, including your own house. And it's not a problem, to be frank. I mean, it's a bit of a cop-out, perhaps, a bit of an annoying one. But as long as you're more secure than your neighbors... <laughs> 
<laughs> you're going to be safer. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, no, no, well, not sure if that's hopeful or not, but I like my neighbours. <laughs> And on that note, yeah. <laughs> unless there's anything else from you. Nah, we can tie a knot on this one. All right. In that case, that is all the time we have for today, but not for the future. You can support this podcast by becoming a patron. Every contribution helps. We're on YouTube. You can like, subscribe, hit the notification bell, all the YouTube stuff. You can even comment. Please go to www.roaringelephant.org for a link to our Patreon page and for more information about this podcast. You can also follow us on Twitter using the at Roaring Elephant tag and send your feedback to podcast at roaringelephant.org. Until then, my name is Dave. And my name is the, the troglodyte that doesn't like voice commands, Jon. And we look forward to talking to you next week. Goodbye. See you then. See how I use the word troglodyte in the sentence. Ah, oh, that was beautiful. <laughs> <laughs>